I'm your host, Reg Allen, with my late night DJ voice. <laughs> I'm battling a cold a little bit. And we're going to introduce our, our friends that are with us each week, and then I introduce our special guest, Sister Taylor. What's up, guys? <laughs> it's London. London on the track? Yeah. It's your boy, Marco. <laughs> Marco my from? <laughs> I'm from Mud. Lake. Crystal Lake, Idaho. So you guys realize, I don't know if you realize you do this because I've listened to your episodes. Marco's (laughs) the only one that says where he's from. Like you guys have a couple times, but why is he the only one? Why is it very well known where he's from? If you're from an area that used to be called Crystal Lake, it deserves its own shout out just regularly. (laughs) But he he got the shout outs before you even talked about Crystal Lake. I mean, I think Speedy Creek is still pretty cool. What's Speedy Creek? Speedy Creek is where I, I tried to guess where London's from because it's like some, it's like whistling, whistling bird. Yeah, he was like bird something. Or Speedy Creek. Yeah. It, it's what? called Swift Current, Saskatchewan. Speedy Creek. We call it Speedy Creek. I remember it was something like that. That's awesome. And then we're very, we're very blessed and lucky to have Erica here with us, who's our expert and guru and we're so guru. pumped to have her that's awesome i've never erica, you introduce yourself you're I'm a erica. guru i'm erica and i'm the guru of this night apparently erica <laughs> is is a professional counselor at byu idaho and also a friend and also an incredible mother she's also i don't know that she'd even want me to say this but she's also getting ready to release in the coming months an incredible book. Is there oh a name gosh, for the book? It is. I finally, it took two years and I finally got a title for it, but there is a book, book title, which is nice. What's the name of the book? So it's called Don't Walk Alone, um, Understanding Our Divine, no, Understanding the Divine Gift of Connection While Navigating Shame. So there's subtitle, but the main title is Don't Walk Alone. And I love it. I've read, I've read a decent chunk of it as a sneak peek and just <laughs> and love it. Looks it different than what you've read there's been a lot of editing since but <laughs> it could only that's good yeah it was <laughs> i i love it and i'm excited for everyone to have it so oh <laughs> thank you london that didn't work. london was gonna push that button to have it turn out really well i wanted to celebrate it <laughs> we're excited so Thanks. let me let me um let me do a couple of things first i want to mention how grateful i am that my friend gary sent me a message last week he sent me a message and said, I've noticed that you say the phrase, here's the deal, far too often in your podcast, and you ought to have a jar that you put a dollar in every time that you say the phrase. Oh million dollar challenge. Yeah. That's how there's, we're going to make our million. There's, there's a lot that I love about that, and I'm committing right now that any dollar that goes into the jar goes right to London, Marco, and Taylor oh, I'm so as, down. as payment for the podcast. So anytime that you hear me say the phrase, all you have to do if you're listening to this is just shoot me a text and say, Reg, I heard you say the (laughs) phrase, and this is the only time it's exempt. The phrase is, okay, here's the deal. (laughs) Anytime I use that phrase, that's the phrase that pays. Thanks to Gary for bringing that. And he made me a cute little plastic jar that has it on it. And I just like pre-put in $5 just, just to start it off. 
Please help us out. Please text Reg whenever yes. you notice it. Whenever you hear it, anybody help me, that. Marco and Taylor. How about anybody this? Listen to the podcast again. And again. And again. And again. And again. <laughs> anybody, anybody that calls me on it, let's say that I say it once in an episode and 300 people send me a text that says, That's a lot of money. <laughs> 300 people text me and say, I heard that you say the phrase twice. I commit to put in a dollar for each time someone calls me on it per episode. So every time someone texts you and says, So if you guys are clever enough, you'll think of ways to have him say it without him even recognizing it. <laughs> Work it into the podcast. This is a major commitment. Creating. Any million that I might make from this whole project, I'm basically committing that I'm going to give like 1.5. So be paying attention to it. I support it. Okay. So with that said... I almost said it, but I didn't. I want to give a social media shout out. We've got our Instagram, at Brother Reg, at Brother R-E-D-G-E. And so if you're on the challenges and you're working through any of the any of the different challenges, either the Stretch Your Reality Challenge, the Million Dollar Challenge, we'd love to connect with you there. Also, London has made an amazing website, www.brotherreg.com. And you can see each of us on there, a profile. And we've got some really fun ideas that are upcoming. So I think that you're really going to love it. Well, let's get started. First, Erica, again, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to learn from you. Well, I'm excited to learn together. <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a student that um, reached out to me this last week and said, I would really like to hear more about failure and, and fear. Because they were going through a difficult time and thought, I would love to have more information. And the more I thought about it, I feel like I know fear well. And I think all of us know fear pretty well. So I wanted to kind of talk about that. And also I've received requests to talk about my business failure. I might end up in the fetal position depending on how things go. <laughs> we can help you with that. Yeah. So you guys can just help me out off the floor when, when we get to that point. And that my favorite acronym for fear that I learned about 20 years ago from one of the greatest mentors in my life. His name's Leland Anderson. He wrote up on the board once, fear, that fear stood for false evidence appearing real. And I always loved it. And, and I know he didn't come up with it. I think Zig Ziglar did. But that particular acronym is something that's always stuck with me. And there's times where I get so stuck into thinking that something is absolutely a fact and is going to happen. It never happens. It almost never happens but I can spend almost all of my cognitive resources just totally fixated on something that, that never happens. I want to I start out with questions, especially Marco, London, Taylor, and, and maybe I'll ask a few questions. Let's, Erica, can you talk a little bit about your background and what, you, what you're prone to, to love and understand about this subject, and then maybe we can explore it with different questions or ideas. Well, so you guys will probably realize everything I talk about was just through the lens of psychology. It's so hard for me not to. Like, I feel like most of my life experiences, I see like, oh, what are people feeling? And why is that? And it's just become the natural zone. So when you're talking about fear, um, I think of anxiety. Definitely. Because fear feeds our anxiety so much. Um, and when you talk about failure, I think of other psychology things that play into that um, and fear is perceived but not actual just like you were saying with that definition it's very much what we perceive to be dangerous and the hard thing at least from my perspective because I work with students um, and couples and anxiety comes up all the time and um, so does all sorts of other things of course but I think anxiety is probably the number one I'd say 
that and depression's number two. Like they're the boom hit one, two. But there's so much that happens physically in our bodies too when we're feeling fearful and we're feeling anxiety. And so that makes it even more difficult to overcome that because I'm scared and yet my body's like, ah, freaking out. Because, and that just compounds all of that fear even that much more. So it's really difficult to get from, I know I shouldn't be scared of this, to um, feeling calm about it because it's more than just what you're thinking in your head. It's what you're feeling in your body too. And there's a lot more science to that, but I'll just leave that for now. I definitely <laughs> want have, me to get into the science of it. I definitely have times where I, when I start feeling fear or anxiety, where my body actually physically changes to where I feel kind of a drop of, it's hard to explain, but I feel my whole body just kind of drop and have this sense of despair. It's the worst, totally the worst. But here's the thing too, is sometimes like, Reg mentioned this earlier today too. He said that sometimes we can like you can confuse fear with excitement or like anxiety with excitement because it's like the same feeling. It's just kind of like the label you put on it. And so when I thought about that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Like my body does the same thing either way. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, thoughts? Well, yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> it's like when I have to go up and talk in front of a group. I get excited, but then I get scared at the same time. So I never really know which is which. And try, I try to tell myself, oh, no, I'm going to love this. and it, But it never works out. I'm still, like, <laughs> terrified. Yeah, I think we all do that. <laughs> so the reason why is because your body is reacting the exact same way, whether it's fear or excitement. Um, is it's activating the same parts of your brain. The back side of your brain is the limbic system, and that is where the fear, flight, or freeze mechanism comes in. And that's actually really useful when we are like in a dangerous situation that floods our body with all sorts of things so that it can protect us. Like if I'm in a burning building, I'm going to run out of there. I'm going to fly. I'm going to flee, you know, um, and that's going to pump my body with adrenaline and do all sorts of things so I can get out of there. But what it also does is it shuts off the front part of our brain, the prefrontal cortex, where we think and are rational that makes sense <laughs> and so the problem is okay it's good when you're in danger right burning house it's good for my body to react this way but test i'm taking a test at the testing center and it's not dangerous but your body is still reacting the same way and you're not as logical you've shut off that part of your brain and it makes it hard for you to function rationally because your body just hijacked everything so being excited sometimes i think it's the exact same reaction um it maybe doesn't have that fear element, but it activates your body the same way. And that's why you're like all hyped up and feeling, I mean, they really like some psychologists call it, I'm, I'm activated right now. That's what's happening. I've been activated with all those things. And maybe it, if you're willing, I kind of wanted to walk through what was that, that business failure for me a number of years ago and maybe describe in a total vulnerable way, how I felt and what was going on in my mind. And, and tell me for those of you that are here, Tell me if you relate to this or if this seems just crazy. But in the, at the time, Sarah Lynn and I, I had a residential real estate company that was doing very well. Things were moving along. And then there was this point where a friend of mine and I decided that we were going to start an advertising agency. And this particular advertising agency took a lot of capital. We put a lot of money into it. And, and really one of the problems was we never validated the business idea. We just... I was under this false idea that everything I touched turned to gold and it was just going to be fine. Well, we pour more and more money into it to eventually getting to where it was a, 
a seven-figure loss for us in one particular year, and it was just as the economy was melting down. And because I had decided that my own identity was, I'm a winner, you know, I win at business, and what I do works. When it failed, and we lost everything, instead of fighting, I think I just became totally depressed and what's it called when you feel like you can't get out of bed? Depression. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so, a fancy term for it. Yeah. That's called depression, Reg. Um, but I had this feeling where I just, I, I didn't have any motivation to do anything else. I couldn't really function. And and worse than that, I found my, my mind playing over and over like a broken record, different things that I felt like contributed to it that were directly impacting me. And so... I would love to say that that lasted like a week or two. I would actually like to say it lasted months, but I think it was so shocking to me to have my my false identity um, brought up that it just, I didn't know who I was if I wasn't a winner at business. And that really, really held me back. So would you say the failure in that experience was more, it wasn't as much the business failing as it was like you were in an identity crisis. Like now it was like, Reg is not the winner that he thought he was. Totally. And, and what's, and what's weird, so months passed, years passed, and then I, I finally developed my confidence and went at it again. But ironically, so even though I haven't had a, a failure in that sense, in a traditional business sense since, since then, the fear of failure is actually still impacting me in pretty severe ways, which is really the originator to the million dollar challenge to begin with. So what I found was, man, I really want to start another small business. I've had a lot of success in small business, but I'm rolling the dice again. What if I go at it again and I fail? And then my whole shell of idea of being considered a successful business person goes out the window with one failure. And so, which is what led me to say, you know what, Reg? I'm better off being scrappy. I'm going to start with a dollar. I'm going to grow it. Let go of the pride. Let go of, of whatever the idea is of success and just be willing to clean people's toilets. And letting go of some of that pride or my fake ego, I think, helped me, helped me regenerate and kindle within me the fire that I have for just being scrappy. And so I think, I think even in this last few weeks from this challenge, I feel that drive again, and I think it reduced some of my anxiety of failure because it's so public what I'm doing. I'm not doing anything fancy. I'm doing things like watching people's beta fish for $10, but still I, I find myself regularly held back from that, from that failure, and it was truly, it was traumatizing. So, so do you feel like your definition of failure has changed in being able to look at the potential of business failure differently? I think so. So for the longest time, I felt like Sarah Lynn and I moved away from Arizona. It was like, if I would have even seen anyone that I knew back then, I just had this feeling of, oh my gosh, I'm not who I thought I was. And I just felt embarrassed. And so it was easier for me to just flee. So we move up to Idaho, start a new life. And I basically avoid the conversation of ever being good at anything in business, hoping to just kind of regenerate a new me. He didn't do very good at that, did he? That's funny. But a few years passed where I really was just, just Reg with no, no idea of, of any past successes or failures. And that was actually really refreshing and restarted me a little bit. At, at the time for years, I felt like that failure was so bad that I 
that it would always impact me negatively and it would cause a physical reaction in me when I thought of some of those things. But as time's gone on, I've looked back and said, that particular failure, and I don't know that I can even consider it a failure now in some ways, but that failure and setback is what guided all of the future choices to allow me to be more focused on things that are important to be, more focused on blessing others, and more focused on, on contributing in a different way. I mean, I live in the middle of nowhere in Idaho. This isn't like exactly the business mecca, but it's family-centered. And I found more about what I actually valued. It, it added a level of sympathy. or Is it sympathy or empathy when you feel what others feel? Empathy? Depends on. So sympathy is when you're feeling for someone. Empathy is when you're with someone. So if it's like, yeah, if you're feeling bad for them, it can even kind of be pity. But feeling with them is like, I get it. I know exactly how you feel. So, so as a kid, let me tell you the scenario and you tell me which one it is. Okay. I, I didn't do a good job taking that and transferring it. <laughs> but like in me, I remember as a kid, I remember thinking when someone said, hey, this person is depressed. I remember naively in my mind thinking, well, you just have to decide to be happy. Like <laughs> that's the problem. Like you just have to choose to be happy and then things are going to be fine. And I was even guilty of saying that at times. And then all of a sudden this happens in my life and I feel like all of a sudden experiencing that deep depression for me that lasted for years and even now can cycle depending on how things are for me. It was a really great experience to learn. Is it? I think that's empathy because you're meaning empathy. you now understand that it wasn't just a choice right. for all those people. Right. Like you get it. Yeah, I was, that's empathy. I was just wrong about it. And now when someone says, hey, you know, I'm at the stage, I can't even move forward. I'm really... I'm really stuck. I I get it. Yeah. I I really do get yeah. it. Yeah. And it's no longer it's no longer thinking that they're thinking wrong or that they're bad or that they're broken, although everyone's broken. Um No. Sorry. <laughs> I don't like that. I tell people, you're not broken, I don't have to fix you. You're just needing to heal. That's it's semantics. Or, oh. or, or the like semantic of, or what if the way you are is totally fine? And, it, yeah. and, and that's the point that's is that enough. it's not about yeah fixing anything or being any different. It's about accepting who you are and moving forward, which I think helps with failure. That's what you're talking about. Like you're looking into this new venture and, and business. And if you can move through that without having a fear of your identity changing, if it goes bad, then you're okay then it's not actually as scary. It's not considered a failure because of your relationship with yourself now, your relationship with how you identify who you are. And choosing to have my identity based on things that I can control and not outside of me. So I'm, I'm a dad. I'm a husband. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of, uh, I'm a friend. There's things that I am that are an easier base of my identity rather than everything I do touches the gold or everything I do is successful, which frankly isn't true. Friends, what are you thinking? Well, maybe I'm thinking about what you said because I was going to ask the question, um, what made you decide that all those things were failures? But you, you kind of talked about that. But at the same time, like failure isn't bad. And you mentioned that. Failure is this chance. And, and Eric, I'd love to, to get your thoughts on this. But I, when I think about failure now, I think if we're not regularly failing at something, that we're not pushing far enough. Because if, if we're allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and do things that we don't always succeed at, 
then it means that we're going outside of ourselves to, to grow and develop. And so if for me, when I was always playing it safe, just teaching, not doing anything in business, just doing a little consulting that's safe. Now, all of a sudden I let go of that and say, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And I'm learning something from it. And it doesn't have to destroy my, my self-image. My self-image can be someone who's doing their best, who's giving their best, not necessarily tied to results, especially not dollars. I like that. I mean, it reminds me of a uh, past episode where you said, you know, why can't I look in the mirror in the morning and say, you know, that guy looks like he's trying his best. That's, um, I don't know if I mentioned this in a past episode, but I looked at this picture of myself from 2007, just a few months ago. And I looked at this picture of myself as an overweight man who is in the middle of the height of business at the time, right before the failure. And some of the things I was doing at that point, business-wise, led to failure of the business. And I think for the first few years after, and I looked at that person, I felt kind of disgusted with him, like, what an idiot. <laughs> you know? And then as years passed, now when I look at the picture, I scrolled up with my, with my picture on my phone, on my iPhone, by the way, Marco. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, on the yeah, iPhone. Yeah, no shaming. Let's talk about that soon. On the iPhone, you can <laughs> scroll in. So, um, but I, I scrolled into that guy's eyes and I just stared at it for a couple of minutes. And my feelings about him changed. I looked at him and thought, that's someone who's, who was giving his best. That was someone doing the best he could in that moment, given all of his circumstances. And to have that feeling of love for him was important to me because he really was doing the best he could. He wasn't a failure. And, and he wasn't a failure because he had almost all of his hair at that point, too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. That's a new way to measure. You guys, you guys need to start another jar about how many times he references his hair. Oh. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't be giving out money left and right. <laughs> you do it on Venmo. He does anyway. it anyways. <laughs> okay, so I have a thought, and it's interesting going off of what Marco was saying because it really is based on how you define failure, and I think each individual defines that differently based on how what that perceived experience makes them feel, and usually it involves shame. Shame's different than guilt. How do you guys, you guys know this? This is, this, this is something I talk about absolutely with everybody. Probably, I would say 99% of the clients I work with, we always talk about shame. Um, shame is, I, guilt, guilt is good. It still sucks. It still feels bad. Okay. <laughs> guilt is like, I did something bad or something bad happened and it still feels pretty rotten. But if we are really whole in that guilt experience, we are learning from it. We're moving forward. We are trying somehow to rebound um, and grow. So, but shame is not, I did something bad or something bad happened it as I am something bad. And so with that frame of what you feel like failure is, there's always shame involved because you feel like you are worthless. You feel like you are something bad. You feel like you are not enough. And that can be defined so many different ways. And shame is a beast. Like it's the hardest part of that. And when you're looking back at, at how you see that, that old you in that in that picture, you're feeling less shame about it. You're feeling more compassion. You're feeling more like that is him trying the best that he can, which is the complete flip side to what f shame makes us feel. And so I, I feel navigating our perception of failure, you have to understand how it makes you feel shame or not. If it's not, it's usually probably, you probably don't even consider it to be a failure, right? Like it's, it's, 
it's just a different word so, for you. So it's the, just growing or the something. Guilt, the guilt is, I, I did bad. It's behavior-based. I can change something, right? Yeah, it's not identity-based, right. worth-based. I did something. I can, I can fix that. I can change that. I can do something differently. And if you are bad, if shame, you are bad, there's nothing you can do if it's your identity. Well, and here, this begs another idea of what is worth and, and what deserves value. And so from this, this can be a religious topic or it can also just be a topic of being that we um, have value just because we exist. And so it's not something you earn. And again, that gets really tricky when we're talking about failure and success, you know, and behavior and worth. But if you look at, okay, you look at sweet little Rocco over here. He's in the room with us. Like you can look at this baby and know that he deserves all the happiness in the world. And as he gets older, he's going to fail a ton. He's going to be falling all over the place. His food's going to be all over. Like, but no one looks at a baby or a child and says, just big fat failures, right? <laughs> like they are not earning their worth. <laughs> Come on, get like it he's together. Just, he's just laying there. Right? That's all he does. <laughs> like he's just, he's depressed. <laughs> he's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't say that. We look at them and they deserve to be happy. They deserve good experiences and they are worth something. Their value is completely untouched. So somewhere between there and us as adults at this table we change that perception and now we have to earn our worth and we have to do or be or say certain things in order to be good enough when yet that value and that worth is not touched. It's not any different. That doesn't mean we still shouldn't grow and learn from things and that we shouldn't still progress in our life. Like you're learning, you learned from that whole experience of that business. I, I don't even like to call it a failure, honestly. Like it's yeah. hard for me to even say it that way, <laughs> but you learn from that. And that's good. Guilt can help you move through those things, but shame just makes us stagnant and completely deflated. Um, I want to bring up something. This phrase called shame culture. People talk about it all the time, but from what we've been talking about, I kind of want to break it apart a little bit because, I mean, my understanding of shame culture and what people talk about, it's like on campus, you want to be the person that you are, but you feel like everybody's shaming you or they're telling you that's not a good thing and people feel like they have to hide themselves. But in reality, if you focus on yourself and the shame you might be putting on yourself, you might realize that it really doesn't matter what they're telling you, even if they are trying to shame you indirectly or directly. Mm -hmm. What really matters in the end is what you think of yourself. It's all about that worth. You don't have to earn that worth. Yeah, and you don't have to accept their shaming. Although that is so much easier said than done. Oh, yeah. Totally. But you're sure. right, Marco. Like when, because it does happen, people do shame us. And sometimes they're important people, like parents. And that is a really, really sad, hard thing. But as hor horrible and as sad as that is when you have those shaming experiences, when it's adopted into your own voice, it is twice as powerful and destructive. Like it's so much worse. And so that's why understanding that for yourself can be on the flip side, like you're saying, even more important to preserve your own worth despite what's going on around you, despite that shaming culture. And, and sometimes our sometimes our voice inside our head lies. <laughs> well yeah. that's what shape okay. Isn't so, that so tricky? So shame's a lie. 
That's the lie that we were convinced that when we were babies, we were something now we're older, but it's a lie. And it's a very believable lie that's totally like in our hearts. We know in our head, yes, you know, you're right. I do deserve to be happy just like babies. But in my heart, I'm like, I am worthless. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. No one wants to date me. Da, 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 you know, and so that it's a very convincing lie. Yeah, it's totally not true. I'll have times, I'll have times as a teacher where I'm like, okay, I, I feel like I'm not, I'm not a good teacher. I'm not, I'm not doing a good job in class. I could do more. I, I could be more. And I'm just, I'm just not a good teacher. And, and the interesting part about that is if I wanted to argue against that, I can have lots of outside data points that say that that's not true. But sometimes when my mind is in that mode of lying about whatever it is or shame myself on expectations that might not be even realistic of what I should be able to do or what I should be already, it just encourages me to do less in some ways. Because it's so suffocating. I, I do. One of the things for those that um, people have asked me specifically in the past what it was about my business that failed or, or why it failed. I came to a conclusion that my best response is that it was my fault. And I don't mean that in a shameful way. If it isn't my fault, if there wasn't things that I did or didn't do that contributed to it, then there's not a whole lot to learn other than I'm a victim. And so when I look at it, one of the things that happened was we had this great idea and these salespeople convinced us that we should invest all of this money into this incredible business. And so we spent all the money and then we validated the business. Looking back now and what I teach students every day about business was instead of going out and spending, you know, a million dollars worth of equipment, if I would have spent $30, if I would have gone to the local screen printing place, purchased a polo that had a $5 logo that I just had made, and went into businesses and tried to sell our advertisement space on the trucks that we had, with just a single week of 40 hours a week going around to businesses and selling and actively selling and validating whether these ads could be sold for the price that the salespeople were claiming, for $30 in one week of time, I'd have saved myself hundreds of thousands of dollars. But instead, I believe this idea of like, oh yeah, everything I touch turns to gold. No reason to take the extra 40, 40 hours of homework and $30. Almost every business idea on the planet can be validated for next to nothing. <laughs> and so for those of you that are thinking, oh, what, what are my main takeaways to not have that type of setback? I would say do your homework and validate your business idea for less than $100. That, that alone would have saved a lot of heartburn. But I will say it was worth every minute. If I could go back in time, and heavens knows I wouldn't, but if I could go back in time, I'd have done the same exact thing. I'd have had the same experience. I'd have had the same setback because I can, I can attribute most of the good that I do today to that setback at that time. So when you're talking about how you, you were accountable for that, like it was my fault, you're saying that with the guilt frame, you know, you're saying that you, cause guilt, we still have to be accountable and we can say that, yeah, this didn't work and it's my fault, but it's not meaning that you are worthless because right. of it. Not yeah. that I'm a failure. Yeah. You're not a failure, but yeah, it didn't work. That my, my <laughs> behaviors didn't translate into success Yeah, and I've, and I could take time to identify what those were and actually make changes. Yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, when I talk about like the, the toilet cleaning business that is, is funny and makes people smile. I validated that for free by going on a Facebook marketplace and saying, I want to clean toilets for $5. People said they wanted it. 
I went and did it. I validated it for free for one day worth of time. So it's that much easier to invest money and to move forward by just doing some, some simple test. So I know I'm, I'm intermixing all kinds of things. Can you, can you speak to Erica? Can you speak to... I can't speak to her. (laughs) (laughs) I can speak to you guys. Not to her. Can you speak to the idea of, of maybe the impact for those of us that struggle with perfectionism? And can you also give us some, some practical steps that you would recommend for those of us that, that struggle with the idea of failure or, or fear failure and it's holding us back in some ways? Can you give us, can you speak a little bit to that and, and what we can practically do to help improve on top of mindset? <laughs> it's a tall order. Where do you want me to start? Let me start with maybe defining what perfectionism is. Um, and I don't think everyone is a perfectionist, but I think we all sometimes have perfectionist tendencies or we feel the pressure to be perfect. Um, I think especially in certain cultures that we may or may not live in, that there is that pressure. Um, so being a perfectionist, though, is very focused on looking perfect so that everyone else around you doesn't know that you're not. So if I... I've, and I have to say this. If you guys... Brene Brown is my favorite in the whole world. I pretend like she's my best friend. Anyways, I've, I've read all, all of her books. All of, all books. of my, a lot of my, my approach in therapy comes from her work. And so this is something she said. She says, if I act perfect, if I look perfect and act perfect and do everything perfect, then no one will actually know that I'm a big failure. She probably says it better than that, but that's the idea. And so, um, th- it's good to understand what that context is, is that there's so much, um, effort put into, just making sure people don't know my flaws. But, and that's different than um, just healthy striving. A perfectionist wants to make sure people, that everything they do is about not letting people know how, how much of a failure they are. It, looking, looking a certain way for those that are looking at you. But people that are healthy strivers, they might want to do things perfectly, but they do it just for themselves so that they can improve and, and do well. Um, so within that context, I think it's just important to recognize, okay, where do I feel the pressure that I have to, I have to be perfect so that they don't know, or I'm doing certain things so that I can look a certain way instead of be open and vulnerable and just be myself. Um, so that you can just be aware of where you struggle or you don't struggle with these kind of things. I, I, I want some feedback from you guys first though. Where do you feel like, especially in your generation, this is hardest and then maybe I can speak to how to help with that. Because you guys aren't talking a whole lot. I'm, <laughs> I'm a talker. Reg is a talker. We're dominating. <laughs> um, I don't know. I feel like... If you're comfortable enough to talk oh, about yeah, it. Because sure. that might be personal stuff. And that's okay if yeah. that's not comfortable. I just... I don't feel like I'm a perfectionist <laughs> at all. I don't know. I feel like I'm super comfortable with Do you feel like that you're up. perfect at being comfortable? I'm I'm so perfect at being comfortable. <laughs> that is true. And, and that that's the message that you want to share with us. I want to share with everybody. <laughs> um, no, I'm really not a perfectionist. I'm super. I don't know. Like I like I just said, like comfortable with making mistakes and be like, oh, like that sucked, you know, stuff like that. But I do feel like pressure to be perfect a lot of the times, especially in like the way I was raised and stuff like that. It's like, I'm Asian. Hi. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, no, just kidding. Um, but You're not kidding. <laughs> I, think, I think you are actually Asian. She's kidding about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, Tell me about that though. Like that pressure, what is that? 
it's pressure just like, to be perfect where and how and how do you yeah, feel yeah i feel like especially with growing up uh as a mormon and stuff as well it's like you feel a lot of pressure to like put on an image that you're perfect is like people can't know you've made mistakes and stuff like that but i think i've really come to terms with the fact that it's like i like not that i like to shout my mistakes from the rooftops or anything like that but it's like i'm super open with the fact that i'm not perfect because i feel like it makes people more comfortable so you to, almost to see be the need. not perfect as well, you know, <laughs> and you almost want to be that more so that people can be that too. Yes, it's like let's just all be who we are. Yeah, it's like I don't yeah, know why is great. everyone pretending? Why is everyone pretending we're all perfect? I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I feel that. <laughs> yeah, what do you guys think? I directed on myself a lot because, to be honest, my parents never they never told me, okay, like you need to go on a mission, you need to go to college. They never told me to do any of that stuff. Somewhere along the line, I was like, that's stuff I need to do because everybody else is doing it. And so honestly, it all came from myself. Mm -hmm. Just kind of growing up in a, in a culture where people want the best for you. And I think that's an important thing to realize is most of the time, a lot of people do want the best for us, but they come across as being like, you need to do this or you're bad. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of where the disconnect happens. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when it, those those messages are being communicated, it's usually because they believe that about themselves. It's like if it's coming from parents or leaders or something else, like if you have to do this so that you're good enough, it's because that's how they feel about it for their own lives. And so they're trying to help you avoid it <laughs> in the exact same way. But you might not feel that way. Like, so say you don't go on a mission. There's some people that, yeah, maybe think that that's a failure. And there's others that are like, meh, you're still you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, then so what's the problem and so there's I guess a lot of perception and perspective in that with with that the, oh okay oh, no, go, go ahead. no you go ahead oh I was just gonna say like just thinking back to it I so I danced for 16 years mm -hmm. and with dancers. dance oh, we love dancers don't we I was a dancer so I Yay! get it oh yes! my gosh everything has to be perfect yes. and if you're not the right height if your shoe size is too big like you're never gonna get a lead role like it is so hard. And like, I actually talked with a couple of friends of, during dance too, about like how hard this pressure was. And so like, that's what I grew up with. But then like just recently, um, I've started turning that cause I would consider myself a perfectionist in most areas of my life. Mm -hmm. Um, but recently I've started to understand like, it's okay. I'm not a failure. And so I guess that shame that I used to have is, I don't know if this still counts in the same area, but I kind of think it's slightly better um but that shame has turned to just disappointment okay. so like I know I'm not ashamed of myself and I was like oh it's not like I'm like oh I I know it I there's no way I could have done better or anything it's like I know I could have done better so why didn't I mm. so next time but I does it know. attach differently to your worth it's like I know I could have done better I should have done better but I'm not bad or no I don't think so I don't know. Worth went down one dollar. I'm wondering if it's changed from from being more shame oriented to guilt oriented. Maybe because it's still again, it still kind of feels rotten to feel guilty about things, but it doesn't change how we feel if we're good enough or not. Yeah. Right. Um, and so with that, I think self compassion is a huge part of it. Like I, you can't not go there. You can't not. Um, understand the idea of self-compassion when it comes to failure or comes to guilt and or shame not guilt so that you can navigate through it um 
And self-compassion is something we talk about all the time. It's something I think people know well, but people are really cruddy at, really (laughs) bad at. They're so good at doing it for their friends, but because we get so stuck in our head and it's not even always like, oh, I'm thinking these really bad things in such a drawn out way. Like I'm specifically hearing myself say these things. Sometimes it's just the feeling, you know, it's just like that instant, like, oh, I just feel shame. Right. And, and it becomes so automatic, I think. And so in, I mean, that's, that's where I go. I say, talk about how to be more compassionate with yourself. And even in the most elementary sense of, okay, I'm touching my chest right here. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Like you can touch yourself and you can comfort yourself in ways that you would do to someone else. And there is real biology that happens. Like if you, if you hug a friend that is feeling sad, which we na- we normally naturally do. Like when someone's feeling bad, you want to comfort them, you're going to hug them and that's going to help them feel better. Like we can do simple things like that with ourselves that, oh, I'm sorry, like this sucks, but you're not alone, but I am because I'm just comforting myself, but I'm not. <laughs> right? Like yourself comforting really is just you with yourself, but at all those same principles apply to how you would help another person. You just do it to yourself and I'm really sorry you're going through this. Like, it's going to be okay. Um, And giving yourself that space to feel bad, but also be comforted. I don't know. What what more do you have to add? No, I I love it. I, I think one of the things I'm hoping that those of you that are listening to this are considering is what, what is next for you? You know, you, you process this, you hear this, what is next for you and what would that look like? And, and then I think on our end, Erica, you've given us a lot to be able to think about and identify with. And, and so now what I'm asking you, if you're listening to this is what, what additional, you know, what questions would you have for Erica? Um, and I would, I would love for you to be able to message us on social media and say, you know, Hey, if you loved having Erica come on, what questions would you have, Erica? You know, maybe we can talk Erica into coming again and take your questions. I'll come back. I'll do caveat, though. I hate social media because it makes us feel bad. (laughs) I feel shame when I'm on social media. Erica, (laughs) I'm not going to accept Erica's shame about us using social media. No, I'm not shaming you. It makes me feel shame. So I'm not on much social media. I am on Instagram, though. So if you want me to interact that way, I can. But I I only follow like 10 people because they're the ones that don't make me feel bad. Follow brother so, so the fact that Erica doesn't follow me is probably a sign. No, <laughs> I didn't joking. know you had an Instagram till today. So, so but, but if you just message brother Reg, uh, if you message brother Reg on Instagram, let us know your thoughts about what Erica shared with you. Let us know what you want to have us discuss more. This is, this podcast is intended to bless your life. That's our whole goal is to bless your life. And that's, and that's what we'd like to do. So please give us some feedback. If you have questions specifically for Marco, for London, for Taylor, any of us, I'd like to dig into that more. You want to hear my favorite failure quote? Yes. It's by Winston Churchill. Failure, no, success. Oh, shoot. I'm really bad at this. I was going to, I tried to. definitely leaving this in. <laughs> I was going to pull it up my phone, but it wasn't working. Success is measure no success is moving from one failure to the next without any loss of enthusiasm yes i did it oh i love that isn't that great i mean within the context of guilt and shame that means you're only feeling guilty about it oh it sucked let's move to the next failure and i'm moving to the next and i'm moving to the next until you succeed um because you're not getting stuck on one failure you're able to still move forward so that's my favorite one i love it 
So friends, here's here's what I'd like to do. I almost said that phrase that would have cost me money. So here's the deal. No. It doesn't count I like won't say it. Okay. Right. okay. <laughs> Repeat after me. <laughs> I'm looking forward to bringing Erica back, and I hope that the messages and comments just start coming, and then we can have part two, which I would love. So a special thanks to Erica, to Marco, to London, to Taylor, who turned 21 years old. Wait, 19 years old. <laughs> She's 19, feeling 22. Yes. So thank you so much for this time. Love all of you. Have a good night. Peace. Bye. See ya.